0: Part One of the Sixty Four Square Madhouse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Chenevere, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. This story was first published in Worlds of If Science Fiction, May nineteen sixty two. THE SIXTY-FOUR SQUARE MADHOUSE by Fritz Sliber Part One. Silently, so as not to shock anyone with illusions about well-dressed young women, Sandra Lee Grayling cursed the day she had persuaded the Chicago Space Mirror that there would be all sorts of human interest stories to be picked up at the first international grandmaster chess tournament in which an electronic computing machine was entered not that there weren't enough humans around it was the interest that was in doubt The large hall was crammed with energetic, dark-suited men, of whom a disproportionately large number were bald, wore glasses, were faintly untidy and indefinably shabby, had Slavic or Scandinavian features, and talked foreign languages. They yakked interminably. The only ones who didn't were scurrying individuals with the eager zombie look of officials. Chess sets were everywhere big ones on tables, still bigger diagram-type electric ones on walls, small peg in sets dragged from side pockets and manipulated rapidly as part of the conversational ritual, and still smaller folding sets in which the pieces were the tiny magnetized discs used for playing in freefall. There were signs featuring largely mysterious combinations of letters. F.I.D.E w b m u s c f u s s f u s s r and u n e s c o sandra felt fairly sure about the last three the many clocks bedside table size would have struck a familiar note except that they had little red flags and wheels sprinkled over their faces and they were all in pairs two clocks to a case that Siamese twin clocks should be essential to a chess tournament struck Sandra as a particularly maddening circumstance. Her last assignment had been to interview the pilot pair riding the first American manned circum Luna satellite and the five alternate pairs who hadn't made the flight. This tournament hall seemed to Sandra much further out of the world. Overheard scraps of conversation in reasonably intelligible English were not particularly helpful. Samples They say the machine has been programmed to play nothing but pure Barzak system and Indian defenses, and the dragon formation if anyone pushes the king pawn. ha! Ah, in that case, the Russians have come with ten trunkfuls of prepared variations, and they'll gang up on the machine at adjournments. What can one New Jersey computer do against four Russian grandmasters? I heard the Russians have been programmed with hypnotic cramming and somno briefing. bennick had a nervous breakdown. Why, the machine hasn't even a hop or an intercollegiate one. It'll over its head be playing. Yes, but maybe like Kappa at San Sebastian or Morphy or Willie Angler at New York. The Russians will look like Putzers. Have you studied the scores of the match between Moonbase and circumterra Terra?" Not worth the trouble. The play was feeble, barely expert rating. Sandra's chief difficulty was that she knew absolutely nothing about the game of chess, a point that she had slid over in conferring with the powers of the Space Mirror, but that now had begun to weigh on her. How wonderful it would be, she dreamed, to walk out this minute, find a quiet bar, and get pie-eyed in an evil ladylike way. Perhaps mademoiselle would like a drink? <laughs> You're darn tootin' she would, Sander replied in a rush, and then looked down apprehensively at the person who had read her thoughts. It was a small, sprightly, elderly man who looked like a somewhat thinned-down Peter Lorry there was that same impression of the happy slavic elf what was left of his white hair was cut very short making a silvery nap his pince-nez had quite thick lenses but in sharp contrast to the somberly clad men around them he was wearing a pearl-gray suit of almost exactly the same shade as sandra's a circumstance that created for her the illusion that they were fellow conspirators "'Hey, wait a minute,' she protested just the same. He had already taken her arm and was piloting her toward the nearest flight of low, wide stairs. "'How did you know I wanted a drink?' "'I could see that mademoiselle was having difficulty swallowing,' he replied, keeping them moving. "'Pardon me for feasting my eyes on your lovely throat.' "'I didn't suppose they'd serve drinks here.' "'But of course—' they were already mounting the stairs. "'What would chess be without coffee or schnapps?' "'Okay, lean on,' Sandra said. "'You're the doctor.' "'Doctor?' he smiled widely. "'You know I like being called that.' "'Then the name is yours as long as you want it, Doc.' Meanwhile the happy little man was edging them into the first of a small cluster of tables, where a dark-suited, jabbering trio was just rising. He snapped his fingers and hissed through his teeth. A white-aproned waiter materialized. "'For myself, black coffee,' he said. "'For mademoiselle, rhine wine and seltzer? That'd go fine,' Sandra leaned back. Confidentially, Doc, I was having trouble swallowing. Well, just about everything here. He nodded. You were not the first to be shocked and horrified by chess, he assured her. It is a curse of the intellect. It is a game for lunatics, or else it creates them. But what brings a sane and beautiful young lady to this sixty-four square madhouse? Sandra briefly told him her story and her predicament. By the time they were served, Doc had absorbed the one and assessed the other. "'You have one great advantage,' he told her. "'You know nothing whatsoever of chess, "'so you will be able to write about it understandably for your readers.' He swallowed half his demitas and smacked his lips. "'As for the machine, "'You do know, I suppose, that it is not a humanoid metal robot walking about clanking and squeaking like a late medieval knight in armor?' "'Yes, Doc, but—' Sandra found difficulty in phrasing the question. "'Wait,' he lifted a finger. "'I think I know what you're going to ask. "'You want to know why, if the machine works at all?' It doesn't work perfectly, so that it always wins and then there is no contest, right? Sandra grinned and nodded. Doc's ability to interpret her mind was as comforting as the bubbly, mildly astringent mixture she was sipping. He removed his pince nez, massaged the bridge of his nose, and replaced them. If you had, he said, a billion computers all as fast as the machine it would take them all the time there ever will be in the universe just to play through all the possible games of chess not to mention the time needed to classify those games into branching families of wins for white wins for black and draws and the additional time required to trace out the chains of key moves leading always to wins So the machine can't play chess like God. What the machine can do is examine all the likely lines of play for about eight moves ahead, that is, four moves each for white and black, and then decide which is the best move on the basis of capturing enemy pieces, working toward checkmate, establishing a powerful central position, and so on. That sounds like the way a man would play a game. Sandra observed, look ahead a little way and try to make a plan. You know, like getting out trumps in bridge or setting up a finesse." "'Exactly,' Doc beamed at her approvingly. "'The machine is like a man. A rather peculiar and not exactly pleasant man. A man who always abides by sound principles, who is utterly incapable of flights of genius, but who never makes a mistake you see you are finding human interest already even in the machine Sandra nodded does a human chess player a grandmaster i mean ever look eight moves ahead in a game <laughs> most assuredly he does in crucial situations say where there's a chance of winning at once by trapping the enemy king he examines many more moves ahead than that, thirty or forty even. The machine is probably programmed to recognize such situations and do something of the same sort, though we can't be sure from the information World Business Machines has released. But in most chess positions the possibilities are so very nearly unlimited that even a grand master can only look a very few moves ahead and must rely on his judgment and experience and artistry. The equivalent of those in the machine is the directions fed into it before it plays a game. You mean the programming? (laughs) Indeed, yes. The programming is the crux of the problem of the chess-playing computer. The first practical model, reported by Bernstein and Roberts of IBM in 1958, and which looked four moves ahead, was programmed so that it had a greedy, worried tendency to grab at enemy pieces and to retreat its own whenever they were attacked. It had a personality like that of a certain kind of chess-playing dub, a dull-brained wood pusher afraid to take the slightest risk of losing material, but a dub who could almost always beat an utter novice. The WBM machine here in the hall operates about a million times as fast. Don't ask me how, I'm no physicist. But it depends on the new transistors and something they call hypervelocity, which in turn depends on keeping parts of the machine at a temperature near absolute zero. However, the result is that the machine can see eight booths ahead and is capable of being programmed much more craftily a million times as fast as the first machine you say doc and yet it only sees twice as many moves ahead sandra objected there is a geometrical progression involved there he told her with a smile believe me Eight moves ahead is a lot of moves when you remember that the machine is errorlessly examining every one of thousands of variations. Flesh-and-blood masters have lost games by blunders they could have avoided by looking only one or two moves ahead. The machine will make no such oversights. Once again, you see, you have the human factor, in this case working for the machine. "'Savilli, I have been looking all place for you.' A stocky, bull-faced man with a great bristling shock of black grey-flecked hair had halted abruptly by their table. He bent over Doc and began to whisper explosively in a guttural foreign tongue. Sandra's gaze travelled beyond the balustrade. Now that she could look down at it, the central hall seemed less confusedly crowded. In the middle, toward the far end, were five small tables, spaced rather widely apart, and with a chessboard and men at one of the Siamese clocks set out on each. To either side of the hall were tiers of temporary seats, about half of them occupied. There were at least as many more people still wandering about. On the far wall was a big electric scoreboard, and also, above the corresponding tables, Five large, dully glassy chessboards, the white squares in light gray, the black squares in dark, one of the five walk chessboards was considerably larger than the other four. the one above the machine, Sandra looked with quickening interest at the console of the machine. A bank of keys and some half-dozen panels of rows and rows of tiny tell-tale lights, all dark at the moment a thick red velvet cord on little brass standards ran around the machine at a distance of about ten feet inside the cord were only a few gray smocked men two of them had just laid a black cable to the nearest chess table and were attaching it to the siamese clock sandra tried to think of a being who always checked everything but only within limits beyond which his thoughts never ventured and who never made a mistake. "'Miss Grayling, may I present to you Igor Jandorf?' She turned back quickly with a smile and a nod. "'I should tell you, Igor,' Doc continued, "'that Miss Grayling represents a large and influential Midwestern newspaper. Perhaps you have a message for her readers.' The shock-headed man's eyes flashed. "'I most certainly do. At that moment the waiter arrived with a second coffee and wine and seltzer. Jandorf seized Doc's new demitasse, drained it, set it back on the tray with a flourish, and drew himself up. "'Tell your readers, Miss Grayling,' he proclaimed, fiercely arching his eyebrows at her, and actually slapping his chest, "'that I, Igor Jandorf, will defeat the machine by the living f- Force of my human personality. Hmm. Already I have offered to play it an informal game blindfolded. I, who have played fifty blindfold games simultaneously, its owners refuse me. I have challenged it also to a few games of rapid transit, an offer no true Grandmaster would dare ignore. <laughs> Again they refuse me. I predict that the machine will play like a great oaf, at least against me. Repeat, I, Igor Jandorf, by the living force of my human personality, will defeat the machine. Do you have that? You can remember it? Oh, yes, Sandry assured him. But there are some other questions I want very much to ask you, Mr. Jandorf i am sorry miss grayling but i must clear my mind now in ten minutes they start the clocks while sandra arranged for an interview with Jandorf after the day's playing session doc reordered his coffee one expects it of Jandorf, he explained to sandra with a philosophic shrug when the shock-headed man was gone at least he didn't take your wine and seltzer uh, or did he one tip i have for you don't call a chess master mister call him master they eat it up gee doc i don't know how to thank you for everything i hope i haven't offended miss uh, master Johndorf so that he doesn't <laughs> don't worry about that wild horses couldn't keep Johndorf away from a press interview You know, his rapid transit challenge was cunning. That's a minor variety of chess where each player gets only ten seconds to make a move, which I don't suppose would give the machine time to look three moves ahead. Chess players would say that the machine has a very slow sight of the board. This tournament is being played at the usual international rate of fifteen moves an hour, and— Is that why they've got all those crazy clocks?" Sandra interrupted. Oh, yes. Chess clocks measure the time each player takes in making his moves. When a player makes a move he presses a button that shuts his clock off and turns the opponents on. If a player uses too much time he loses, as surely as if he were checkmated. Now, since the machine will almost certainly be programmed to take an equal amount of time on successive moves, a rate of fifteen moves an hour means it will have four minutes a move, and it will need every second of them. Incidentally, it was typical Jandorf bravado to make a point of a blindfolded challenge, just as if the machine weren't playing blindfold itself or is the machine blindfold? how do you think of it gosh i don't know say doc is it really true that master jandorf has played fifty games at once blindfolded i can't believe that of course not doc assured her it was only forty nine and he lost two of those and drew five jandorf always exaggerates <laughs> it's in his blood He's one of the Russians, isn't he? Sandra asked. Igor? Doc chuckled. (laughs) Not exactly, he said gently. He is originally a Pole, and now he has Argentinian citizenship. You have a program, don't you? Sandra started to hunt through her pocketbook, but just then two lists of names lit up on the big electric scoreboard. THE PLAYERS William Angler, U.S.A., Bella Grabo, Hungary, Ivan Jahl, U.S.S.R., Igor Jandorf, Argentina, Doctor S. Crocatower, France, Vlasili Lismov, U.S.S.R. The machine, U.S.A., programmed by Simon Great, Maxim Shirik U.S.S.R. Moses Shurevsky, USA, Mikhail Votbinnik, USSR, Tournament Director, Dr. Jan Vanderhoof, First Round Pairings Shurevsky vs. Serrek, Jal vs. Angler, Jandorf vs. Votbinnik, Lysmov vs. Krakatar, Grabo vs. Machine. End of Part 1